Yippee Kayo. It is, uh, I didn't finish the sentence. <laughs> You'll know. Try again. Try again. No, I'm not finishing that sentence. I know I could. <laughs> I yeah, actually could on this to. format. You don't need to. You well, don't I, need it's to. No, it's you not don't necessary. No. Um, it is Friday, and that's why I'm happy. Because <laughs> I get two days, I don't have to look at your face. Uh, John Shannon is uh, with me as per usual. It's the uh, Bob McCowan podcast with yours truly. And uh, one of my other favorite people, that Michigander, John Paul Morosi, is going to join us. One of our hockey experts. Well, you see, that is what I'm I'm always concerned about with you. Because no matter what. Hockey, 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 hockey. Hockey, 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 hockey. All Shannon cares about. And, And no matter who the guest is, he always has to bring hockey into it somehow. And promote the fact that people who are known for completely for other sports, in his opinion, are huge hockey fans. Well, like we it's know a that clandestine JP group that that hide under a, um, a a black veil all the time, hide their love for the sport of hockey. Well, there's one of them, Morosi, and I think and he only does it to make you happy. Well, he doesn't. I don't think he gives it. a crap about hockey. Oh no. Well, then we'll check it. We'll check it. Well, I'll tell you what he cares about. He cares about Michigan sports. Okay. So if it's if if it's Michigan Wolverines hockey, he cares about it. Well, I might ask him about that. Well, let's commence and see if we can get him onto the topic of the expertise that he is uh, known for, which is baseball. John Palmarosi from Ann Arbor, Michigan, home of the Wolverines. Hail to the victors. Back after these messages. Well, generally speaking, baseball on the topic today, although I imagine we'll touch on hockey because our guest fancies himself a hockey guy. Okay, so on that topic, what? John Paul Morosi. Owen Power has scored his first goal in the National Hockey League. Matty Beneers has points in every game he's played, I think, in the National Hockey League now. Kent Johnson's doing great stuff in Columbus. How did the Michigan Wolverines not win the NCAA hockey tournament? How did they not win those in four? What is going on? I, we, need a, we need to do a forensic audit on what was wrong with Mel Pearson's hockey and Pearson's hockey team not to win the Frozen Four. Well, uh, good afternoon uh, to both of you. And I, I appreciate the question because, John, it validates why I was talking with you so much about yes. this team all winter long. I was trying to find ways to work in references to Michigan and the World Juniors, how talented this team is. And remember, by some estimates, and I see see Bob's Ohio State Buckeyes logo, by some <laughs> estimates, Luke Hughes was every bit as good as the players who left by the end of the mm-hmm. season. And so there's still one significant player uh, there who was drafted in the top five of last year's draft, in addition to a lot of other talent, including sure. Adam Fantilli, who's going to be a star, of course, for Canada at the upcoming World Under-18. So, But to answer your question, John, a couple things. Number one, they lost in overtime to the eventual champion. And it's hard It's hard in that situation to say, oh, they blew it or they... they no, they blew it. They blew it. But I'll <laughs> say this. That Denver team, incredibly talented with some NHL talent on it as well. It's Indeed. a one-shot game. Michigan had some chances... Some two-on-ones in the semifinal, a puck that rolled up on its end that had it not, maybe Luke Hughes scores that goal. So you're right. You're right. Should they have won? Probably. But they were also a, a young team. And this is the really unique thing about college hockey that I'm sure we'll talk about 
uh, whether on this particular podcast or the future, how good college hockey has become and also how old college hockey has become. Luke Hughes was the youngest defenseman in college hockey this year at 18. And you look Mm -hmm. at the rosters of a lot of other teams. John, you would see 97 birth years commonly. 98 birth years happen all the time. And so it's it's an older player's game now in college hockey. And so when you have young players that really shine, I really think that for players like Owen Power, Matty Beneers in particular, they had so much pressure on them this year to perform and and score at a high level that I really think that stepping into the NHL after all the scrutiny of Michigan, I'm not saying that they're, that they've relaxed in the NHL, but the expectations for what they're going to do in each individual game are, are lower. And I think they can sort of blend in with the group and their talent shines all the more. I think Maddie's, I think Beneers looks like he's taking it to the next level (laughs) playing for the crack. And I I really, really am impressed by the way he's playing right now. It's just, it's fun to watch it all happen. Look, can, I, can I just jump in here because yeah, nobody are you are you are you gonna are you gonna are you gonna pick up the uh, oh yeah as, as a guy flashes Ohio State Buckeye sign all the time well, well it's college hockey in America I mean it has a very limited um Owen power lives about Owen powers family there's about we're not talking about Owen perhaps. power we're talking about you, Michigan Michigan he was on Wolverine. Michigan well but he's not anymore. Now he's in, in Buffalo. I just wanted, I wanted an explanation from our college hockey expert, John Paul Morosi, about why, you know, this juggernaut of a junior, of a, of a, of a college hockey team didn't win the, uh, the frozen Well, and court, I could right? have answered that question for you. We don't need Morosi here. They choked this just the same way the football team choked and just the same way the basketball team choked. Is there anybody Uh, else that Michigan has choked on? I mean, there's about 50 sports that are played that I don't pay any attention to, but they were probably favored in something else too, and they gagged it up. I would say, and granted, Bob, this is something that that I don't often mention. I didn't actually go to Michigan myself. I I do do live in the community and therefore have (laughs) a great deal of of affinity and respect. I think he's bailing on the Wolverines. For the institution, but here's what I'll say. (laughs) Bob, I I, I charitably, and this is where I can be objective about it because I did not go there, so I have a degree of objectivity. To say a season was successful or unsuccessful based on the sole criterion of did you win the national championship or not? I think is a little a little harsh. Michigan well, no, has it's not call. harsh at all. We we at the okay. Ohio State University, yeah, understand that you win a championship. Beating Michigan every year is a given. It's not an, an except a this goal, year. Except this year. After seven or eight or nine or ten in a row, whatever yeah. it was. It, it's not a goal. It's a step along the way. And <laughs> To not win a national championship is a is a failure, and all I'm suggesting is that Michigan failed at multiple times this year with big programs where Michigan had a chance to win, and that is all. And 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 now that you have disassociated yourself from that blue thing that exists in your community, come over. You're more than welcome <laughs> to become an Ohio okay. State Buckeye. Fan. All right. I did my college hockey question. I'm happy now. I got it out of the way. Great, John. Well, we have now no we audience left. My no. pleasure. My pleasure. Well, no, no, we, I, 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 think I think you've got a strong I, audience in Mississauga because they're proud of, of Owen. We'll see. Is. Here's my question about Owen as well. We might yet watch Owen play for Canada at the World Championships because, after all, he did that last year. And he's still, and we'll see. This is, I think, 
one curiosity, and John might chime in on this, Bob, not that I'm trying to steal a question here, but I wonder how many of the world junior eligible players who have already now signed NHL contracts are going to play in the tournament this summer, specifically Power, Veneers, Sanderson, a number Johnson. of players, obviously. Johnson is another one, certainly. Uh, yeah. How many of them will be playing in the tournament in August, right before, not right before, but weeks before training camp starts in the NHL? That's one question that I have. Let us turn to the game of baseball, which is now in full swing. was a little chilly in Boston this week, I gather, but uh, nonetheless. Um, biggest surprise so far, the Mets? Or are you not surprised by the Mets? I, the Mets, I, I think, are, are a quality team. I think the biggest surprise right now is uh, going back to the aforementioned state of Ohio and the way the Cleveland Guardians are playing. In their first year of the new team name, their offensive depth for me has been, I think, the biggest story. Uh, you see uh, Owen Miller playing a lot of first base. He's been excellent. Josh Naylor, of course, uh, Canadian, has, I think, stepped into the forefront with Miller being out for a period of time. Jose Ramirez has been great. They signed Miles Straw to an extension as well. Um, this is a team, Stephen Kwan is one more name to know, who had that streak of not swinging and missing to begin the season. It's a very interesting team, and we know their pitching is almost always there. Zach Plesak is off to a very strong start. Shane Bieber, of course, we know a former Cy Young winner. Guys, I, I think Cleveland is a club that I probably underrated in spring training, and when you consider the injuries the White Sox have had to the likes of Luis Robert, Yohan Moncada, Lucas Giolito, Lance Lynn, the Tigers have had their own injury issues as well. Uh, Cleveland, the Guardians, uh, right yeah. now atop the division, and they just swept the White Sox in the three-game series. I I've been very impressed by Cleveland. But, but you have to – sorry, John. You have to acknowledge that that the White Sox are yeah. almost assuredly the team that's going to come out of that division. I I'm not certain of that, Bob. I, I do really? think they're still, the, they're still the favorites to win the division, but I would not move them up to the – 90% confidence interval to win the division. I, I think their grip on the division is, is a little more flimsy than it appears uh, because of some of the health questions, because of the, the questionable rotation depth and really having to rely more on Dallas Keuchel and others. I, I just think that in general, the, the White Sox have underwhelmed. In the last couple of years, of course, they were early exits in the playoffs. There's a lot of pressure on this team now. In year two now of La Russa, uh, and this was meant to be a win now hire to bring in LaRusso to manage the team already as a Hall of Famer. And to me, gentlemen, I just I'm not seeing them separating themselves from the rest of the group. The defense there has not been good. Uh, the offense has not clicked yet. And again, it's April in the Midwest. You know, you don't often see teams hit their full offensive potential. But for me, the defense is as much of a concern. The, the extra outs they're giving, because that is something that is harder to fix over the course of the season. What Sorry, were your John, expectations for? Oh, that's okay. What, what were your expectations for the Tigers in all of this, JP? Good. I, I mean, I still think they could be a wild card team. I do. Uh, they just have to get healthy with their pitching. And when you consider again uh, the whole packet of injuries that they're having to deal with right now, their their best player in spring training was a rookie by the name of Riley Green, and he hurt himself in the last few days of spring training. They were getting set to name him to the opening day roster probably twenty four to forty eight hours after he sustained this injury uh, that, that knocked him out for at least two months. So that, to me, is a, is a really big issue for the Tigers not having Riley Green because he could be their catalyst. They hope to have him back uh, for June and then the rest of the season. Uh, Javier Baez, who was a walk-off hero for them early in the season, he's been on the injured list. And then with the rotation, Casey Mize, Matt Manning, they've been on the injured list, a number of key relievers too. So 
I, I really believe at full strength, the Tigers are almost as good as anybody else in that division. But in their current injured state, I, I just don't know if they're going to have enough uh, right now in the first couple months of the season to, to get any sort of a strong start where they'd be in first place, let's say, by the All-Star break. I, I just think that's too much of an ask right now, given all their injuries. You know, as a total aside, um, and you can take it for what it's worth. And I know that the Red Sox and the Yankees and, and Tampa are great rivals of the Jays, but I really miss the Tigers-Blue Jays rivalry. I really do with, with, with realignment, the way it occurred and, and you know, Toronto being put in the, in the East and, and Detroit in that central division. I miss the Tigers blue Jays rivalry. It to me was something special. I agree. And I, one thing I wonder about is, and, and we've heard various rumblings of, of expansion and relocation, perhaps Las Vegas, obviously has been mentioned a lot with respect Nashville. to Oakland, if they end up and Nashville, a lot of news about Dave Stewart's involvement there in the last week or so. Uh, I, I do think that if we get to 32 teams, one consequence could be eight divisions of four teams each where you don't really have the league-related identities any longer or it's more of a dramatic geographic shift. And so could there be a division where, let's call it the, the Great Lakes division, if you will, maybe it's, uh, maybe it's Toronto, Detroit, <laughs> Cleveland, and then you loop in either Cincinnati or, or one of the uh, Chicago teams or a Milwaukee or a Minnesota, mm. depending how you want to do it. There's a lot of different ways you could handle that. But I, I do think if, if you consider just the, the history of, of the cities and the, the baseball traditions of the cities, the London Tigers being an affiliate of Detroit for so long, that sort of always bridged things together. There's, there's a lot of, as you guys know, um, uh, the, the generation pre Blue Jays, there are a lot of Tiger fans in Ontario. Ernie Harwell's in yeah. the Canadian Baseball Hall of Fame for a reason. There's, there's a real connection and cultural shared heritage between Detroit and Toronto. And I, I think it would be really cool if we see those teams back in the same division at some point before the decade is over. I couldn't care less about the Detroit Tigers, Toronto Blue Jays rivalry. You know, when it's it was great. A I fell in love with that. 1987. Why? Couldn't care. 1987. It was a rivalry when the two teams were good. The Detroit Tigers <laughs> have been a pile of crap for a, over a decade. And the Toronto Blue Jays have been pretty crummy for the last five years too. Now, you know, if the two fr any two franchises that are good, if they meet in a playoff series, or uh, as was the case with Detroit and Toronto back in the day, eighties, I guess. Yeah. Um, when the when the Tigers won the division, I think um, on the last week of the season, right? Yeah, Blue Jays right. lost six in a row or something. Eighty-seven. That. Yeah, thank you. You know, okay, but there that hasn't existed since eighty-seven. There hasn't been a real rivalry between the two cities since 87. The hockey rivalry has dissipated and even disappeared over the years. It's, I don't, it's, I don't you guys you, are Bob. fantasizing about this. I, 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 I think that rivalries and I think regional rivalries like Detroit, Toronto uh, exist on so many levels uh, that they, that, that per, all professional sports should try to find a way to nurture them. I think I really do. I think it's important. And I think that what's happened in so many ways in, in every sport is that they've said, no, we're just going to do it this way. And we don't care about those rivalries. Well, and, but, it, and, and to me, it's a mistake. Well, in, I mean, hockey, you can, in hockey, geographically, Toronto's rival only rival should be the Buffalo Sabres. I mean, they're an hour down the road. The Buffalo Sabres are such a crap organization and the Toronto Maple Leafs are almost equally crappy because they can't win a playoff series and probably won't win one this year. But tell me about that rivalry. 
Tell me about the Buffalo Sabres, Toronto Maple Leafs. I'll tell you what, I think when the borders open, I think it's pretty damn good, man. That's not I think very it's pretty good, unless, good. You, unless you oh, live I, in Niagara. I think it's great. The, the, number of, the number of Leafs fans that you see coming to games in sure. Buffalo. And, and yeah, because they can get tickets yeah. for cheap. No, I also... Because Buffalo also, fans, A, won't pay, and B, won't go. So Maple Leaf fans or, or Buffalo fans that live in Niagara go across the border and go see a cheap NHL hockey game. That's what it's about. I don't... You know, the Toronto Maple Leafs rivalry, period, is the Montreal Canadiens. Period. End of story. The I, I Ottawa, would say that, that, that Ottawa Austin, blip is, for Austin a while has become a pretty good that. rival in the last 10 yeah. years for the Leafs. When you think about all the playoff, again, I'm, it's not the same thing as the Habs, but playoff series build rivalry. If, if the Bruins that. and Leafs, the Bruins and Leafs meet in the playoffs this year, that's going to be a natural storyline. I get that, now. but that's what I'm saying. When right. is the last time Detroit and Toronto met in a hockey series? That had any legitimate meaning. Ninety-three no, in, in, in the nineties. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's thirty years ago, guys. Mm-hmm. But that, uh, listen, r- r- rivalries, rivalries can can be nurtured, Bob. R- rivalries can, oh, they you can know, be that, falsely created, is what they can be. Uh, you th- you think a Detroit Toronto rivalry in any sport is falsely created? Yes, I'm telling you. Oh no, wait! We're talking about rivalries. Yes, the moment now you're are you gonna say you're gonna say Toronto Philadelphia is a basketball rivalry now, falsely well, created? It, it not yet. It, you're, not yet. That's re, all you're talking about. You're just talking about recency bias. That's all it is. It's recency bias. Well, to not me, because I, well, I said the Montreal Canadiens. The Montreal Canadiens will always be the Toronto Maple Leafs rival, but, and but that they is played, historic. Played last year in the playoffs. Of course, they will be. That is historic, but it is still something special when the Leafs and Canadians play, even when neither of these teams has won a Stanley Cup. Well, the Maple well, Leafs since the year of the small potato. And, and Bob, think about this. The, the original six within hockey creates its own subset of rivalry and connectivity yes. in a way that yes. no other major pro sports league in, in North America has. You know, the, the Red Sox and Yankees are their own pairing. And the Cubs and Cardinals are, and the Giants and Dodgers are. But the original six is its own. It, it feels almost like its own tournament in uh, any given year because of all the different connections. And certainly for me, as a Michigander, we've talked about this a lot, I think realignment to have the wings in the East has been a good thing. I, I do miss the games against Chicago. I, I think that's a special rivalry, and I'm glad they played in the playoffs, that great seven-game classic that Seabrook won. Uh, back mm-hmm. in what 2013, uh, but mm-hmm. I, I think for me that was a hard thing to say goodbye to that rivalry. But I also felt really reinvigorated to have a division against whom the, the Wings have three original six opponents: Leafs, mm-hmm. Habs, and Bruins. I think that that those are the teams that Detroit yeah. should be playing. Well, I, that, I that, and, that. And, and, and my whole point with my my thought about the Tigers and Blue Jays was was a comparable one. Was it? I do think that with the history huh. of these franchises in the '80s, that it, and and again, I just think you know, driving up and down the 401, taking the train from Detroit to Toronto, vice versa. I think there's something magic about that, and I think when Detroit fans come to Toronto, it's special, and when Toronto fans go to Detroit, it's special, and that's what it's all about—is creating those types of rivalries and ease of connecting. And and that's right. so that's what I want to see. That's what I want to see more. Well, I, well, one of the one of the great rivalries that I had a chance to to see again early this season w- with MLB Network was Mets Phillies. And it's because of that same train travel. It's even closer of course than Detroit Toronto. It's an hour and 20 minutes on the train between downtown New York and, and downtown Philly. And so you mm-hmm. always have whether it's New Jersey fans in Central Jersey who might be Mets fans 
there, there's always those connections where you'll have a lot of Mets fans in Philadelphia and vice versa. I love that that Eastern corridor. And I think it's true to an extent with hockey as well. If you have a Flyers-Rangers game, uh, a, a big Devils-Flyers game, there's always a lot of con- connections there where they're so close together. Yeah. I think it really lends itself well to rivalry. Yeah. Well, you want to know how many times I've taken the train from uh, Toronto to Detroit? I, I can I'm tell you said you, zero. He's zero. done it zero. zero. You're missing out. You're missing out, Bob. It's a great way well, to travel. Ask me how many times I've gone the other way to Montreal. More than zero. Yeah, but that was because one, one of your wives was from Montreal. Well, that was partly a, what it was. Yeah, about. yeah, exactly. Exactly. One of, was it only one? one? Of well, no, I, well, I, 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 need, I need a program. You know, <laughs> I need a program, and I was married to them. Hey, speaking of uh, uh, the whole thing about American League, National League, are are you suggesting at some point, John, that they, they will disappear? Will we just have they Major might. League Baseball, and they might. are we going to have the American Division and the National Division? That's certainly possible. I, I think that well. obviously a lot of the identities have been lost because we we have one universal set of rules, and and now that there's no DH uh, difference between the two leagues. I think that opens up the door for a dramatic reshaping of, of rivalries. And by the way, I think that could be a very exciting thing. Part of it to me depends on where they expand to, where they relocate to, and if some of these geographic pockets make sense. Because there are, I think, any number of areas of the country where a division, let's just say, if, if Oakland moves to Vegas, and, and if you wanted to have a division that included Dodgers, Angels, Padres, plus relocated team to Vegas, that's a nice little four-team group. I, of course, you probably have to have the Dodgers and Giants in the same division. That, that's one option. It, oh, it's, yeah, I, yeah. You know, out west, you don't want to break that one up. So you may, you may have to get a little creative in how you do that. You have unique teams like Seattle, Denver. There's obviously different, uh, different geographic areas to represent there, Arizona too. But I, I do think if you expand, plus if there's some relocation, Look at the map, see where it makes sense. Um, do Red Sox and Yankees, certainly they have to be in the same division, but then you group in the Mets with them. And if you go Red Sox, Yankees, Mets, Phillies in one four-team group, then Toronto would be free for it to be a Toronto, maybe you even, maybe you even go Toronto, Pittsburgh, Detroit, Cleveland. And then it's sort of that right around the lake. So that, that's an option there too. So well, the only reason I'd like that is because uh, Pittsburgh ha- uh, will suck until the be- end of time. Uh, Detroit hasn't had a good baseball team for a couple of decades. Uh, Blue Jays would win win with uh, probably 75 wins. They'd probably win the division and get into the postseason. So I'd be happy with that. But but you're 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 dreaming in Technicolor. If you think Major League Baseball is going to abandon the National League and American League thing for the exact reason that you're talking about, because you can't keep you couldn't call it the National Division and the American division and keep the teams where they are. You'd have to do what you suggest while it's logical. This is baseball who are never logical. Um, you'd have to, you'd realign geographically because if you notice the, you know, in New York, in Chicago, in LA, one of each, you have one of each, right? You wouldn't, you'd, you'd want those teams to play each other. That makes the most sense geographically or or, or do you buy or do you? I, well, then you might. Then you can stay with the American and National League, which is I but think here, what they're going to do. Here, but here's the issue: is and, and JP, you know more about this than we do. The the structure of the schedule is changing after this Correct. season, isn't it? 
And right. that's going that that's going to dictate a lot of what the future is all about. Going to a balanced schedule, and and again, that that is the current CBA's plan, as John points out. I'm sure that if you move to a 32 team league, by definition, you'd have to change uh, change the schedule format. You know, one thing to keep in mind, and, and all of us remember this, and certainly it's germane to the conversation earlier about the Wings moving to the Eastern Conference. One of the reasons that Detroit wanted so badly to be in the Eastern Conference for hockey was that it got more of your games in a good time zone window for your TV for when you have road games. So when Detroit's playing all those games against Vancouver and Anaheim and and LA, Mm. all 10 o'clock starts in the East coast, it's, it's harder to get good ratings. So if if you have a tightly compact, almost by time zone division. So for example, just consider the American (laughs) league West right now, if you're Texas and Houston, you play a lot of your, in division road games mm-hmm. against Seattle, Oakland, Anaheim uh, in the Pacific time zone at an unfavorable TV time. But if you go to a four team division and if it's all in the central time zone, for example, Rangers, Astros, Royals, Cardinals within two states, Missouri and Texas, all <laughs> central time, it's a nice, tight geographic area, easy travel, mm-hmm. and uh, all almost all of your in division games, all of them would be at seven o'clock local time. And it, it's better for your fans from that perspective. Well, you know, and it By the way, to me, that it, when we talk about geographic um, um, obstacles, we refer often to the West Coast teams as having the most difficult travel schedule. I might argue, might it might be Detroit, it might be the Red Wings. We're, we're Back travel in schedule. The day they did. Back in yeah. the day, they did. No, well, got, hey, but hold on. Just before we let, let's not do revisionist history here. When the Red Wings moved to the Eastern Conference, they moved with one other team. Do you remember what the team was? Columbus, no. Toronto. Columbus? Oh, Toronto, right? <laughs> Toronto. Toronto yeah. was in that western. It, it was in the West as well. Well, but so that's a, that's a lovely historic fact. But what does that got to do no, with what I just said? The point is that it it, it, it was the the Maple Leafs. Who have a lot more influence than well, we're anybody not else talking when about it comes that. to television? What no, I it, said it, was the question I asked was: Does the, do the Detroit Red Wings have the most formidable travel schedule in the national? Not anymore. No, not no. Anymore. Dallas Stars. The Dallas Stars do right yeah. now. The Dallas Stars Dallas. have the worst travel schedule. Period. Period of anybody in the National Hockey League because there's their- nobody. Cl- there's nobody close to them. You. Can, I mean, every other every other situation. There's at least one or two teams I'll within an hour to an hour and a half of travel. Even Calgary and Edmonton and Vancouver and Seattle. I mean, it's easy travel. Dallas, you're on the plane at least two and a half hours to the, your closest rival. It, it is painful to be the Dallas Stars. Good reason. There probably should be a franchise a in Houston, agent. by the way, at some point. Houston, Houston well, is a natural okay. place. Okay. NHL, you, you can you you're, you work for uh, MLB NHL Network. <laughs> you can arrange that. Get that done. Get that done. Put a Mr. Put a franchise in Arlington. That'll be that'll be nice and close. They can share an arena. Actually, um, we got to take a break. Uh, John Paul Morosi is here. Uh, John, of course, has hijacked the conversation into hockey when that was not the intent, but he usually no, does that, that. John, John, John Morosi did that, I think. No, you did that. You no, did that. What? You asked the actually, question actually, about Owen Power and the Michigan Wolverines. Yeah, but we got on to the Tigers. We were and then you keep Tiger dragging it back to hockey. <laughs> I'm dragging it out of hockey. It's baseball. Happy season. Friday, Bob. Happy Friday. Bah humbug. Back with Morosi <laughs> and what's his name after these messages. Uh, it's McCowan. It's um, 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 
Shannon, that's it. And uh, John Paul Morosi is with us from Michigan. Can we get back to baseball, please? Sure. You, we'll Bob, it. it's your show. Apparently not. <laughs> uh, Morosi brought the Cleveland Indians up and wasted a lot of time talking. Guardians. About Guardians. Guardians, right. And, um, uh, and then got on to the Detroit Tigers, wasted more time. Can we talk about teams that will be relevant when all this is said and done? I mean, I tried to give you a, a lead into the Mets, but you really didn't I know. follow that. The Mets are an interesting team. And you want to know why they've been so good? One of the main reasons is that Francisco Lindor is playing like he was supposed to last year. Uh, year two for him, he's much more comfortable. You can tell the smile is back. The power is back. He's playing a great shortstop. This is the MVP-level player the Mets thought they were trading for a year ago, and, and now he's there with, I think, a, a very, very strong supporting cast around him. Marte is an excellent player. Escobar is an excellent player. Canna was out for a while due to COVID, but but has, has really, I think, made his impact as well. So this is a team that that is deep. Their pitching is excellent. Tyler McGill has really emerged as a star. Uh, Max Scherzer, of course, they got in the offseason. Even without Jacob deGrom, guys, the Mets are a very formidable team, and I, and I think probably 1 through 28, they have a better roster right now than what the Atlanta Braves have. So you think they might be real when the season ends? Oh, yeah. I, I think they're, they're a playoff. It's not a mirage? Nope. Okay. You know, let me ask you, on the Mets, can Steve Cohen stay out of the way? Well, I think to, to this point in time, John, he's, he's obviously spent a lot. Uh, he, he has a, a big persona now in the game. And any manager wants to know his owner is intent on winning. And Buck Showalter knows that about his manager, about his owner and Steve Cohen. He has given him the tools to win. And honestly, once the season begins, and I understand that whether it's a tweet or some sort of public proclamation, <laughs> certainly uh, owners can dictate the conversation around their team and their sport. But the offseason is for the owners. In-season is for the manager. And unless the owner steps in and makes some sort of grandiose move or gesture, it's in the hands of the manager and the players. And, and they've yeah. got a manager in Buck Showalter who managed for George Steinbrenner, understands the pressure of New York, is a brilliant tactician in my estimation. I think Buck Showalter is the ideal, ideal manager to both manage this team and also manage up when he needs to. I was going to say, if, if there was one person out there now, maybe LaRussa, but could manage an owner, it would be Showalter because he doesn't really need it. And so he's going to do what he wants to do. Correct. Right. He, you know, and that's, and that's a very good point. Of course, Buck has already made his name in managing. He, he has not yet won the world series championship, of course, as a manager, but he has had three very successful stops prior to this. Uh, he's in the dugout now because he really loves it. He loves working with players. I had a conversation with him a couple of weeks ago when we had a game, of, of the Mets and had a chance to sit down with, with Buck and our broadcast crew. And he's, he really loves being around the players again. He loves the decision-making. He understands uh, what it takes to win at this level. And uh, his, his sense for detail, I really think that there are a lot of parts about the game that, that Buck doesn't really concern himself with. Some of the drama outside of the white lines, he maybe doesn't really pay that much attention to. But what is within the white lines, with what is within his control to prepare every day, he loves, he prepares and loves to prepare the way that a football coach does. And I think he has that ethic and his players really respond well to the way that Buck prepares for a given major league game. 
I'd be really fascinated. Uh, we talk about this periodically. In fact, I think it came up yesterday. Keith Oberman was on with us yesterday, and of course, he's a New Yorker. And um, I'm always intrigued by why somebody is a Yankee fan, why somebody is a Mets fan, why you don't really cross that never crosses over. Um, it's not really as geographical as Anaheim and LA, the Dodgers and the angels. It's not as geographical as the white Sox and the Cubs. That's a North side, South side thing. Anaheim to, if you go from Anaheim stadium to Dodger stadium, well, it takes you two and a half hours, you know, uh, you can almost make it as quick to Detroit from Toronto. So, no, we're not doing that again. But we're not doing that again. <laughs> but New York is really interesting. And um, the Yankees are good. The Mets right now are in first place and look really good. They do. And and I, I would say that for me, Bob, to, to, to get to the point that, that you referenced with Keith, I do think there is a certain uh, heritage, family connection well, that sure comes is, into yeah. how you choose your team and and – there were, I, I do think that if you, if you did a per capita basis, there are still probably more Mets fans per capita in Queens and in right. Brooklyn than there are in Manhattan. Or and, on Long, and on Long Island, right. Correct. And I think part of that is, the, the, of course, the heritage of National League Baseball in New York. Back in the era when there were three, three teams, there was a team in, in Brooklyn, of course, and then there was, you know, the, the Giants were in Harlem. But it was, I really think that especially with, with the, the way that when the Mets came in, the initial branding of the franchise was, we want the orange of the Giants and the blue of the Dodgers, and we're going to meld these two fan bases together whose teams move to the West Coast and celebrate the heritage of National League Baseball in mm -hmm. New York. And, and that's why the colors are what they are. That's why they honor Jackie Robinson uh, in, in New York because of the, the heritage of Jackie in Brooklyn. Sure. So I, I think there's a certain family connection, uh, heritage that you feel in that respect. And then with respect to how they're playing right now, I, I agree. I think the Mets probably have the better chance to win the World Series this year than the Yankees do. And, and that's not the first time that it's been this way in the last 10 years, of course, as we know. The Mets, let's be let's be uh, uh, correct about this, the Mets have the, the more recent World Series appearance than the Yankees do. The Mets were in it in 2015. The Yankees mm -hmm. were last in it in 2009. And, and that, of course, for the Yankees qualifies as a drought of some significance. The, the Royals have made it twice to the World Series in the time that the Yankees have made it zero times. So there's there's a real issue there, I think, for the Yankees to get back. And, and Bob, what you, what you reference off the top about how you judge a season's success or not, it is true that much like the Ohio State Buckeyes in football, uh, the New York Yankees tend to be a club for whom it's either a world championship or it's not kind of a season. And I really think that they have had now more than a decade of, of a lack of fulfillment. And I'm just not sure if this particular group has all of the components. I think when they're really all in harmony and healthy and, and performing well, they could. But there are a lot of questions right now about Garrett Cole and his inconsistency to begin the season. Is it weather related? We know, of course, the, the crackdown on sticky substances last year. Sticky substances tend to be needed more in April than they do any, any other time of the year because of the cold weather. Is he feeling that, that absence of the sticky stuff more now? Uh, I think we have to wait and see how he performs in May and June before making a full, complete assessment of where Cole is right now. Maybe Garrett should talk to his third baseman, who was the guy that dragged it out of everybody. Because remember, it was well, Josh Donaldson, wasn't it? Sure. Well, Josh, Josh accentuated it. 
I'm not, he wasn't necessarily the one that pioneered this as a concern. I think MLB was well aware of the issue, but I, I do think uh, Josh, as he has done for different issues in the course of his career, amplified it with his candor, which we, which we appreciate is his candor and his authenticity. And I think Josh, uh, when speaking last year, certainly drew a little bit of attention to Garrett, not realizing, of course, that he would one day be his teammate in New York. <laughs> Uh, the Toronto Blue Jays play the Houston Astros uh, over the weekend in Houston. And I think we all agree the Houston Astros are a formidable opponent. But they're only 6-6 six and six this year. They have, you know, they have some blips. Um, Houston aside, and maybe the White Sox, the argument can be made that Toronto, New York, Tampa Bay, and Boston are the four best teams in the American League. And they're all in the same division. <laughs> and um, in the early, in the first two weeks of the season, um, to some extent, they've been beaten up on each other. And so you got the Blue Jays in front with an eight and five record. Um, and at the same time, their pitching was, it looks like it's coming into shape, but the first, first go round was iffy, and the offense hasn't started to connect yet for the Blue Jays. What do you think of this division? I mean, this thing could be a four-team race right to the last weekend of the season. It would not surprise me at all. Well, Bob, remember last year, if we had had the current playoff rules in effect in 2021. Blue Jays are in. Exactly right. We would have had four playoff teams in the AL East uh, yep. of the six. Think about that. Uh, mm -hmm. I, I think you're right uh, about how competitive the AL East is. Uh, I do have some questions about the Red Sox. Uh, when you consider their pitching staff, I just don't think they have the same depth they did last year. Eduardo Rodriguez is gone. Of course, he's now with the Tigers. Uh, they, they really are relying on some younger arms like Tanner Houck to deliver for them. Of course, Houck reportedly won't be able to travel to Toronto because of, of not being vaccinated against COVID-19. So there is that dynamic to watch uh, unfold as the season goes along. Um, I, I think, too, the Red Sox bullpen, they may have to have Garrett Whitlock start a game for them this weekend. So they don't have, in, in my judgment, an, as much bullpen depth as they did even a year ago. Matt Barnes has not quite been himself yet this season. So there's, there's a lot of questions right now for the Boston Red Sox. I, I, I don't disagree. Would, I don't disagree with your, your assessment with the pitching staff. And but I would remember, also say, offensively, I know they only scored, what, what, how many scored, five runs in three games at Fenway against yeah. the Blue Jays? But they look like as good a hitting team as the Blue Jays do. They can hit. I think they're well, going to be hitting all, all year. And the question is going to be, can their offense overcome their limitations with pitching? Right. And, and but one thing to watch, Bob, and, and where last year might have been a bit of an aberration in this respect, as you pointed out about the teams beating up on each other who are all in the same very competitive division, don't forget that if there emerges a really good second-place team in the West or the Central, let's say the Tigers get healthy, let's say – a team like Cleveland has more staying power. Let's say Seattle plays about as well as they played last year. And of course they were almost as good as the Jays last season. Then they are going to be playing against inferior competition. I, I, again, with all due respect to Baltimore, you think about the way the East works, it's four really good teams and one that's still rebuilding. There, there is less competition for the top spots in the central or the West than there is in the East. And so all it takes is for there to be one really good second-place team that if you're the Angels, let's say, if they all of a sudden catch fire with Otani and, and Trout and their group, and if um, they win a bunch of games against Oakland and Texas, then they get boosted while 
while Toronto and Boston and the Yankees and the Rays have to deal with each other. And, and it's very possible that a, that a second place team that's in the central or the West that is talent wise mm-hmm. inferior makes it in because the schedule allows them to. Well, and speaking of the angels, I mean, it's way too early to predict anything, but they're at least off to a decent start. And um, by the way, so is Oakland. <laughs> well, yeah, but Oakland is Oakland is a team. You know, when we look at expectations, you start every year going, "Well, Oakland lost this guy, this guy, this guy, this guy." They'll be crap <laughs> yeah. this year, and and then at the yeah. by middle of the season, you know, they're in second place, and they're five games over five hundred. You know, and they do this all the time. This is sort of mm-hmm. what we've come to expect from the Oakland days. What we haven't come to expect is anything decent from the California Angels, who have the best individual player in baseball, and arguably, arguably the two best individual players in baseball right now and haven't been able to get out of their own way. And I mean, there are explanations for it, but there's no point going into that now, but they're off to a decent start. And you wonder, you know, might this be the year that they finally figure it out at least a little bit? I I think so. Yeah. They're, they're pitching better right now. Pitching has been their issue for years and years Uh, and in health to some extent with, the likes of Anthony Rendon, for example. But if you project out a full healthy season for Rendon to then go along with Trout and Otani, uh, Walsh, Fletcher, uh, uh, I think a a pretty solid group of offensive players overall. And then you add into that uh, a rotation. Of course, they signed Syndergaard in the offseason. Sandoval, I think, has gotten better and better as time has gone on. I I believe, and you have one of the better closers in the game in Rysel Iglesias. So for me there is room for a legitimate second place team in the West to win a wild card. And that team I think could easily be the angels or the Mariners. The Mariners have had their own issues early on this season, COVID among others. Uh, But I I love what I've seen from Matt Brash, who, by the way, first major league player ever from the great city of Kingston, Ontario. So congratulations Mm -hmm. to Kingston, Matt Brash, great, great starter there with uh, the Seattle Mariners. And then Logan Gilbert as well. So if Gilbert and Brash keep pitching like this, um, I think Seattle has a very legitimate chance of making the playoffs. Well, it's early in the year. You can uh, make all the assessments you want. And uh, we're not sitting here suggesting that 13 games in or whatever it is, yeah. uh, anybody has established anything. By the way, the, 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 same discu- the same discussion that we're having about the American League East, you could have about the National League West with the power in that division, when you think, you know, the Dodgers, Colorado, San Diego, and the Giants are all really good baseball teams. They really are. I think San Diego's had a bit of an underrated strong start. Manny Machado playing like an MVP, and they need him, of course, because Tatis is still out. Uh, Yeah, well, those, I have to confess, that division is probably as interesting, at least, as uh, the AL East. Uh, We will let you go. You uh, undoubtedly have things to do, and um, we do not want well, to. dressed up for it, too. Dressed up for you guys, as I always no, you do. And, and we'll, what we're going to do here, Bob and John, is we'll keep a good file of this conversation on record and revisit it, the, the least the parts about my predictions as to how the West and Central might play out. The parts about power and veneers, we'll just wrap them into the, the special edition of our podcast that previews the Men's World Championships later on. But that's uh, that's part of our, our next uh, continuing coverage here on this podcast, right? Right, Bob? <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> the Ohio State Buckeyes. The Ohio State Buckeyes. Oh. Championship. I'm with you. Or I'm with you, JP. Don't even talk. All right. Anymore. We'll, we'll, we'll we do might, a special edition. We'll do a special we, edition in the spring. We might it. do a five-part series on the World Hockey Championships just to keep Bob hacking. Yeah, well, I'll be Sounds off that. Like, that'll be the that'll be the week I take off and go somewhere. Well, yeah, we'll more. schedule it during Bob's vacation. This exactly. is the this is the, the the John the John and John takeover of the podcast for one week. I, I love it. I have I have checked with the producer. No one's right. taking vacation. I'm all, right, okay, all for that. Okay. We love you, Morosi, in spite of your thanks, guys. All the same to the to dark you. side. Goodbye. Weekend. Thanks for everything. Thanks so much, JP Morosi. <laughs> we'll be back after these messages. We're back. We uh, thank Morosi for uh, joining us and um, filling a gap in my day mm. and a few moments of humor. Um, we always need humor. Well, we do. Um, and uh, it is not with that in mind that we, um, we discuss this topic. I was going to say uh, provide this news, but I, I, it is not news really anymore. Um, Guy Lafleur has passed away, the legendary Montreal Canadian um, who had a legendary career, retired, and then came back. And, came back uh, as a ranger and a Nordique, yeah. Yeah, and played more. Yeah. Uh, but he will always be remembered as a Montreal Canadian, I think. Um, the vast majority of his career, the vast majority of his success happened there. I, I, I briefly met Guy Lafleur at an event that our mutual friend Brian Aaronworth had at his, um, his place. Uh, Brian has, is, a, um, is in the picture framing business, and he held Memorabilia. an event. Memorabilia, yeah. Yeah, he held, held an event there, and I can't, I've been to so many of them, I can't remember. And, and there was Guy Lafleur. I believe my ex-wife got a photograph with Guy Lafleur because she is a Montrealer. And my memory of seeing Guy Lafleur was him standing on the back deck of the building where the event was held with a cigarette in hand um, mm -hmm. smoking as fast as he could mm -hmm. and it was that that ultimately um, cost him his life yeah here, here's here, you know we all have personal memories of of great players um you know just as we did last week with mike bossy uh it's been it's a tough been a, a, a tough seven or eight days uh, I was a young producer for Hockey Night in Canada in the late 70s, was doing a part of the, the Boston-Montreal series, and we were staying at the same hotel as, as the, the hockey club. And uh, Scotty was the coach, uh, and um, he allowed the team to drink in the hotel bar, the same bar. Oh. And there was a, the, the day before one of the playoff games, um, there were seven or eight members of Canadians uh, sitting around a table in the bar telling stories. And I walked into the bar by myself and I got waved over by two or three of the players, uh, including Lafleur, uh, Dougie Risebrow was there, Yvonne Lambert, a few of the others, um, and uh, sat down. They bought me a beer uh, and they proceeded to continue their conversation in French. Uh, at which point Lafleur said, boys, we have to stop. We have to speak English now. Because John's with us and he doesn't understand French that well. And we're not going to speak behind his back. And it was Lafleur that did that. I've never forgotten it. Wow. That he was the one who told his teammates, we have to speak English so that everybody can be part of the conversation. And that was, to me, that was a legacy of what Lafleur was. Uh, you know, I, I, I tweeted out earlier today that you can tell 
the generations of, of success in Montreal by single names. Rocket Richard was the 50s. Jean Beliveau was the 60s. Guy Lafleur was the 70s. And that I, I, really know. was, that really, if you just said Lafleur, you knew the generation of hockey that you watched. That well, to me is the magic of what he brought. You know, you, you brought up something that tweaked, something that I've never thought about. But um, in retirement, I don't think you would find a group of former athletes, certainly former hockey players from anywhere else who were more accessible, more amenable, more um, talkative than the former Montreal Canadiens. Agreed. Don't you agree? I want to say it right. L'ensemble de Canadiens, Canadiens old timers. Uh, It became part of their mantra. It yeah. became part of their life once. And this really Beliveau was the one who generated this and created this and, 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 and others have carried it on. Henri Richard carried for it on sure, Henri Richard, for, year, yeah. for years and years. Yvon Cornway. It was, sure. It does now. Absolutely. There was a magic to be a member of the, one of the greatest sports teams in the world. And those players appreciated it and were able to, connect with their fans in so many ways. Uh, Lafleur was one of the top players, one of the elite players in that group for sure. Well, one wonders if that will be lost by the fact that it has now been almost 30 years since the Montreal Canadiens won a Stanley Cup and the list of truly great players um, in Montreal is, well, it's a very short list in the last 30 years. Um, Patrick Waugh, uh, maybe yes. Carey Price now. Um, well, is there anybody who else fits into that category? Who do you squeeze into that greatness between the early '90s and today? Yeah, it's it's a it's a really really good question. When you think about uh, even former captains, you know there are still people like Bob Gainey alive. Dee Carbono is still alive, um, but Saku Koivu, former captain. Uh, he he had has that opportunity to carry the, the mantle in in so many ways. There's something special. Yeah, There's something I, I, special about that group. No, you're right, Bob. You, you, I'm 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 agreeing with you. I'm just yeah. I know you are, and I know, I don't know you're. I'm not trying to disrespect Ganey or anybody else. No, and they were Ganey's Ganey's one of those guys. He's he carries himself well. I don't dispute that. Yeah, but we but, were talking greatness with the names that we were discussing before. Yeah, the the ones that you mentioned were all really good players, but didn't win championships. Didn't really compete for championships, and um, one wonders if that <clears throat> this generation that we've been fortunate enough to live through with ex Canadians is going to come to an end quickly. John, we have to go. Yeah, no, I just uh, you, you know the flower was you know if there's a Mount Rushmore, there's some Mount Rushmores that Guy Lafleur's on for sure. Wouldn't argue one that. for the greatest, greatest of the Montreal Canadiens. Have a great weekend. We'll see you on Monday. Uh, Scotty Bowman will join us Monday. More talk about Guy Lafleur from somebody who knew him well, coached him. Uh, have a nice weekend to you, everybody, and uh, thanks for watching or listening. Goodbye. <laughs> <laughs>